0: Before we get started, I have an exciting announcement to make. The Progressive Bitcoiner Podcast has grown quite a bit since our first episode only a few months ago, and that growth is entirely due to your support and encouragement. But I am grateful that it is now not only listeners that want to support the show. So I'm excited to announce our first sponsorship, Sun Exchange. Sun Exchange is a simple way for you to earn Bitcoin while making a positive impact on the planet. Thousands of people from more than 180 countries across the world Already use SunExchange to solar power more than 60 businesses and organizations across Southern Africa. These solar projects have avoided more than 12,000 metric tons of carbon emissions from going into the atmosphere. And it's super easy. Just visit sunexchange.com backslash progressive bitcoiner, sign up in a matter of minutes, and then browse current solar project crowd sales to find the one that inspires you. Projects include schools, farms, businesses, and other organizations in these sunny emerging markets. So for about the cost of a cup of coffee, you can buy solar cells in the project and start generating clean energy. You'll receive monthly Bitcoin payments for 20 years for the clean energy your solar cells produce. And the organizations use solar power gain access to affordable and reliable clean energy. Luckily for you, Progressive Bitcoiner listeners get a free solar cell with their first purchase at sunexchange.com backslash Bitcoiner. So, you asked a question before,
1: and I didn't give you a sufficient answer on how do you broaden the the Bitcoin into all hands. If you had a, just a credit based system on top, if you just traded uh, faces from this group to this group, and then you know you could leverage credit forever, I don't think anything would change, or not, it still would change, but it would take a long time to change because at the end of the day, when entrepreneur, when when somebody that was levering a system, fear and greed taking too much leverage in the system Bitcoin nobody's going to come back and save you right so think about how those are different in 2008 all of the people who created the the financial mess are still in power at the top and how are they still in power because they socialize the losses to everyone else and so they got massive raises, massive bonuses, and, um, and the system just kept on, kept on going. And that what that means is if I make a big enough bet and it's going to hurt everyone else on being wrong, then I can always go back to the government and the government's going to save me for fear of causing, causing a depression. And they're going to socialize the losses and make me whole. And if you have that kind of error code bit built into society, Do you think we have more financialization of business today? Because what that says is it it tells the market, it tells everybody here's how you make unlimited money at society's expense. So you get more and more of that. And that's what capitalism looks
0: like today. It's cronyism, it's crony capitalism. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast, where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Jeff Booth, entrepreneur and author of The Price of Tomorrow. In 2015, Jeff was named BC Technology Industry Association's Person of the Year. And in 2016, Goldman Sachs named him among its 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs. While Jeff has numerous other accomplishments, for me, it has been his optimistic yet measured approach to Bitcoin education that I have most admired. And it says a lot when someone can come across as kind and generous on Twitter. So it should be no surprise that Jeff delivers that in spades in this interview. Please enjoy this episode with Jeff Booth. Well, Jeff Booth, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. I'm delighted to have you. Thanks for having me, Mark. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the podcast uh, is because of your decades of entrepreneurial experience, uh, experiences that have helped shape your ability to approach and solve problems. And one of the goals of this podcast is to help people who care about particular progressive issues see them in a different way, the, in the ability to solve them. So in our case, obviously, that approach may be Bitcoin. So I'd like to start off exploring some of the experiences that have helped shape your ability to solve problems and see things differently. I'm curious to know, was there a time during your entrepreneur efforts uh, in the businesses that you built when you felt like you were more focused on the particular means of solving the problem rather than trying to find the best way to solve the issue at hand?
1: Uh, <laughs> I actually don't even know how to answer that. The, the, I think at the high level as an entrepreneur, you think you can solve a problem for people in a different way. You have no idea really how to do it um and um but you you look at say the world's thinking in one way they they're doing this they're kind of in a pattern and you realize wait if i build this other thing people will use that and it'll create more value than what they're using today or a technology company and and so the root in being an entrepreneur is actually providing value because if people don't actually use your thing or company or what, what have you, that typically means giving them a lot more value, um, then then the business doesn't doesn't work.
0: Your latest venture, Ego Death Capital, I imagine the name of that uh, stems from perhaps a, an experience where you had to let go of your ego. And while I want to get to the details of the, the venture later, I'm curious to know, does that experience or the name of it uh, relate back to an experience that uh, allowed you to do that?
1: Well, the truth of the matter is I didn't come up with the name. The co-founders of the fund came up with the name and I loved it. And I loved it because a lot of times in in the entrepreneurial journey and, and even today, you get hung up around your ego wanting to Wanting to believe so much because because you're the only one that can fix it, or wanting to believe so much because, uh, and and that that is about the ego rather than about, am I providing value? Am I doing that? And why am I doing this? Um. So so I think it, it, uh, it, it is an important subject. I don't think anybody is truly ego free. They try to be, and uh, but it is yes the amount of times i've made mistakes um, in in businesses and hit a wall in business only to find out on the other side it wasn't the world conspiring against me it was me conspiring against the world (laughs) or too numerous to uh to to mention here but what what you do as you come through those you either don't learn and you keep making the same mistake over and over again believing the world's conspiring against you or you do learn and it broadens your your awareness of yourself too and you don't make those mistakes again
0: one of the other uh, formative experiences that i suspect you had during your career was having to go all in on build direct uh, by selling your house what was that experience like for you it, it felt like when, when i originally did it, it felt like just an
1: asymmetric bet it felt like um wow Okay, I need to do this because if I don't, the company's uh, company is over. But if I do, then the value of that company is worth way more than my house or anything else. And I had to do that at the end of 2008 because of the because the market collapsed in 2008 that threw us for a loop. We didn't see how fast the credit credit markets collapsed. Um, it wasn't that the business was bad; it was the credit markets collapsed, and and so there was no other way to finance the business. Later on, being all into that and kind of renting a house and having three, ki- uh, th- three young kids, um, when I lost my business, it meant losing everything. It meant losing um, or, or what I thought was everything. And again, it's only money in the end. And what I found out on the back of walking away from that business, um, it just by the very nature of everybody coming to me, is the, the wealth part of this was really easy. The, the integrity
0: thing is the thing that's probably most important. Well, that gets me to my, my next question, because going back and uh, looking at some of your videos on YouTube, in particular, your very first ones that are at least posted back in, I think, 2014, 2015. One of them was your uh, BC Technology Person of the Year Award, your acceptance speech. In that speech, you say it's impossible to fail when what you value the most cannot be taken away. How did that lesson evolve for you over time? How were you finally able to take that on? How did it become apparent to you? So, so
1: all through my life, it's just, it's actually just been, been reinforced. I probably always believed that, um, but, but when you see when you're at the bottom and you have nothing and you don't know how you're going to pay rent at the end of the month. And, but you, you, when I say you don't have anything, you have all your friends, you have your integrity, you have all all your family, you have everything that's important in your life. And the only thing you don't have is maybe, maybe we have to move and live in a tent, right? (laughs) Um, And what you realize is you have just about everything you need or you have everything you need. Um, And, and that's, and that's what's impossible to take away. Only you yourself could remove that and you could remove it by letting go of your integrity. You could remove it by, doing something terrible to your family, you could do, uh, to your friends, but it's your choice and it's always a choice. And, and so what I found out with that choice, which kind of effectively do the right thing always, um, or, tr- or try to, uh, do the right thing, my version of the right thing, not that I wouldn't be wrong, not that I wouldn't make mistakes, but, but always try to do the right, right thing. Um, what, I, what I've realized through my life is people see it, and it builds way better relationships. And those relationships are so powerful and they're built of, uh, on, on a bedrock of trust that almost anything is possible.
0: Before we get into Bitcoin specifically, I wanted to touch base on some of the topics uh, in your book, uh, The Price of Tomorrow. And specifically, I want to examine uh, the connection that you see between inflation and inequality. But as a kind of a backdrop to that, I'm fascinated by some of the writing of an economist by the name of Thomas Sedlicek. And he's questioned this idea of economic growth at all costs. And he he says, uh, the alternative to growth is not poverty, and it's not austerity. Uh, The economy is not a society, even if the two need each other. He goes on to say, it was supposed to serve us economy, that is, and lead us to prosperity. But now we are serving it, and it is taking prosperity away from us. His sentiments, you know, I think ring very true to, to maybe your positioning. So I'd like to get your reflections on what he said.
1: So you can see
0: it from, my, from my book,
1: technology creates productivity, and that productivity is, is deflationary. So an exponential productivity gains are led by technology and what should be happening in the world is prices should be falling as, as technology does its job. What's the technology job that that it does for a CEO? It removes labor and makes their business more efficient. And that efficiency is what people use. So it's hard to question that efficiency or blame the CEO when you use Google. When you use Apple, when you use Amazon, when you use all of these things. And kind of the point is when in the free market, when a business gives you more value, you use it. But the same thing is true in your own time. All of the things you use reduce um, if the calculator out my app on your phone, um, the marginal cost of production to that is zero. It's a line of code. And so there's no more entrepreneurs that want to create. Calculator apps, because they can't monetize it. What should be happening in all sorts of industries across everything is prices should be falling down as, as technology does more and more of their work. But that's a 180 degree flip from where we are today in the world, where we have a monetary policy that must keep prices going up to, to offset that technological gain. And it's a really hard thing to understand if you're in the system because you're measuring the system from the system. So what that means is people need to work harder and harder and harder as the the most important things in their life get more expensive. Energy costs get more expensive. Housing gets more expensive. Food prices get more expensive. And there's a whole bunch of people left in in that audience that kind of say, what's going on? Right, it's it has to be those rich people creating that problem, instead of a system creating that problem. It is the system creating that problem, and probably the easiest way to see it for many of your listeners would be, imagine going around a monopoly board, and everybody has all the pieces in that monopoly board, and then at, at go you can't get around the board anymore. You can't. You're going to go bankrupt. But um, and with two hundred dollars, so the government says we're going to give you three hundred dollars. And you'll take the $300 thinking that it was a gift, but really what it was is a transfer of more of your wealth to somebody else, because all of the asset prices, all of the hotels, houses on the Monopoly board go up in price. And now $300 can't go get you around the board. So the next time you come around the board, you ask for $400 and the same thing moves further and further away. And it it creates kind of the middle class and poor or the middle class falling into poverty and generational poverty that people can't get out of that monopoly board. It's 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 because inflation is wage deflation. It's the same thing. And so their wages are going down in real terms, but they don't know. And so you go back to the same government or a different person in the same government that says, I'm going to give you more money and you think they're helping, but they're actually making the whole thing worse now. I want to be really careful about this. And even even your show, Progressive Bitcoiners, I don't think most people, 90% of all of us would think about pretty much the same underneath sound money. The right and left move so far away from each other. And we vote for a political party that can't solve the problem on either side, because there isn't one person on either side that would say, okay, we're going to stop printing money. And what you realize from that is you realize there actually isn't really a democracy if 70% of, kind of your labor and what you, what you do every day is controlled by a different force that you don't have a vote in. But it, it's a real paradox to, today because if governments told you the truth and stop printing money and stop devaluing your currency, because we live in a credit-based market, the entire thing would fail all over the world, you'd run into a depression. And so they only have really option two, which is debase your currency more and more, drive inflation and inflation pays back the debt that the government has in cheaper terms tomorrow. But it has all of these negative consequences for the middle-class and poor. And it has positive consequences typically for the wealthy who have all the assets. So that it just becomes a more and more of a concentration of wealth in the top 1% or top 0.1%'s hand.
0: Why isn't the solution simply to tax the Warren Buffetts and uh, Elon Musk's of the world? Um, because the, you couldn't solve this problem through taxes.
1: So um, I think you, uh, last year, if you taxed all of the corporations 100%, every, they, they didn't make a dollar, tax all the 100%, um, you couldn't pay the deficit that year so the taxes aren't a way out of it and that's actually why it's being hidden hid in inflation and if you taxed and now keep on going on that if you taxed at 100 what do you think would happen to the economy right right so there is no fix through taxes and and that's and that's kind of on the left and right but we hear this all day long in, in the media and, and Fox News, one story, uh, CNN, the exact opposite story on why it's people. And both are screaming at each other in the vortex and everybody's confused underneath that. Um, and there's no fix from the system. Um, so it's, it's, it's unfixable from a system. So it has to be through debasing your currency.
0: Your book makes the claim that with a deflationary economic environment, there still can be prosperity. Have you been approached or discussed at all any connections between your, your ideas, your book, and uh, what is known as the degrowth movement? Yeah, it's totally different. The degrowth movement.
1: Like, what does that actually mean? Uh,
0: from a definition standpoint, I think from the organization, they... they Refer to it as sustainable degrowth is a downscaling of production and consumption that increases human well-being and enhances ecological conditions and equity on the planet. Exactly, uh, a, a big a, a big pile of nonsense <laughs>
1: that, that says it, the the point here is technology reduces you you get abundance. It, what they're measuring is gr- in growth is GDP, and GDP is a terrible measure of growth today, and. It's probably easier if I use an example. How much GDP growth has come from the digital camera that gives you infinite amount ability to take pictures, edit those photos, so editing software, everything else, and it's all free. Where does that show up in the GDP going up? That's the point. Technology gives you the abundance. It allows prices to fall. You get more for less. And as as things fall to their marginal cost of production which is free with technology or a lot of uh, a lot of technologies and increasingly so as that falls you get more so if you're looking through a lens of GDP growth it's easy to say a whole bunch of things like you just (laughs) said on their site and it sounds it sounds oh yeah let's go do that but how do you create a system that does that so people decide to buy less, decide to produce less. The production and the and consumption is because you have an inflationary monetary policy that must grow forever. It's deeper. It's way deeper than people realize. It's, it's, it, um, and people are in that system coming up with solutions from that system. And there is no solution from that system.
0: Which is a perfect segue into uh, one of your other fantastic insights on inflation and, and climate change. And so I'd actually like to get your an update on the tweet that you put out. I think it was early 2021, uh, and it was tweeting uh, towards Bill Gates. And you asked them the simple question of how do you solve climate change in a system that must grow forever? First, have you had a reply that has made a compelling argument against your claim?
1: You could look through all the replies, and, and the answer is no. Um, and so there's over 2 million views on that specific question when no replies and people retweet it over and over and over again throughout, uh, throughout the last year. And so you'd think that if there was a solve that somebody would come up with, okay, here's how you solve it. But really, uh, reality is that's why a asked because people don't see this until you ask them a bigger question. And the inflationary monetary policy, like if you just looked at ESG, every piece of ESG is made worse from an inflationary monetary policy because it presupposes you could grow forever on a finite planet by creating more and more paper units of money or digital units of money (laughs) to make prices go up forever. And who gets to decide more digital units, like when in history has more paper units of money delivered value to society. And so who gets to decide who gets to print more and more money and and you, what you see is is that is the cause of all of the problems today and there is no fix from that s- system and remember i'm in a bunch of technology companies that that and i care a lot about the environment i care a lot about some of the companies that i'm involved in are going are doing amazing things i'll give you an example one in in bioplastics that uses seaweed and uh and almost digital printing type of thing on on seaweed that creates lids or plastic lids or better than plastic lids that are fully compostable um, as a plastic replacement. It's early. But the reason why that will work is because because it breaks the cost curve of oil-based plastics. And in other words, there's an incentive to use it by the market and, and it and it's completely uh, biodegradable, compostable, um, and it works better than anything else. But about at, at about half the price. So today we have a system where there's a whole bunch of trying to optimize plastics or remove plastics, and there's no and the market will use the lowest cost thing forever because you will. You won't choose as a, as a user, you choose, you choose what the market is at. You won't pay more for things. And certainly in some parts of the world, you won't pay for more, but more for things. But if it costs less, you'll start using that. And so now that with that as an example, but lots of other companies as example, now these things you would think these are really good for the world, good for the environment, good for business, create, create value. But what has to happen as that company removes jobs um, and market from a, from a credit based system that has to move up, it creates deflation. And what the next step has to be is governments have to print more money to essentially steal that, that gain to keep the, to, to keep the credit based system solvent. And what that means is you actually destroy the planet. As you print more and more money um as you as you're driving as things are driving lower and lower in price the government has to offset that with more and more printing all over the world to be able to keep them going up or the system collapses and and so you have have inflationary
0: monetary policy is the cause of climate change that was going to be my question as a bit of a devil's advocate here why if we're just going to print money, why can't we throw it all into uh, technology like this and renewable energy uh, and, and solve climate change that way because it's happening anyways because that's what
1: that's what the market does no, no matter what the, 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 the there is a again think about what an entrepreneur does here's a problem I need to solve it and I need to solve it with something that ideally reduces price otherwise no one will use it and so that the, the why solar is advancing is because it's now broken that cost curve and now it's one of the lowest forms of of energy why some of these things are advancing what creates the market for opportunity for products like that is ideas solving problems that are or societal problems and when an entrepreneur solves that they make a lot of money too but in this market it's exactly the opposite they make more money at the expense of everyone else, not it not because because normally prices would fall, right? As they did. And they would have to find the next invention and the next invention. But if you make prices rise, you create a a whole bunch of super monopolies like Google, Facebook, Apple, and you concentrate concentrate all the wealth in um in, in very few hands.
0: So I mentioned ego death capital previously, but um I thought it'd be good to bring up now because I suspect it gives you a front row seat to uh, Bitcoin companies and their incorporation into um, some of these topics that we've, we've talked about, specifically mining. I know you have experience with, with solar uh, energy in, in the past. What are you seeing at the, the bleeding edge here of, of some of these applications? Um, it's, it's still early. Um, but but if, I, if I said why
1: did I do this, probably two main reasons. And, and and many people don't see people in Bitcoin understand this. Um, but for billions of people on our planet that don't understand Bitcoin at the level that maybe you do and what it means um they're going to interact with Bitcoin kind of on the on the third layer on the and not the protocol layer um they might they they won't want to learn Bitcoin at the same level as you do. And we experience and probably the best example for that is. Try to teach TCP IP in 1995. You'd have people's glazing over. They, wanted, they want to use YouTube on top of it. And, and that brings everybody onto the, uh, onto the internet. They want to use the products on top of it. So Bitcoin for a long time wasn't at a, at a spot that it could, could scale. Um, and now through Lightning um, and Tarot and a bunch of other work, um, now Bitcoin's at a spot that it can scale. And so we're going to be investing on this on the scaling layer and uh, and the apps on top of that scaling layer, um, and is wildly exciting. Too early to tell you which which companies and, and such, but we've probably seen a hundred companies in the last uh, in the last month, and it's just amazing. Some of the, some of the ideas and and the entrepreneurs going to build a better future on top of this on on top of this incorruptible money. It's kind of, it's wild.
0: With regard to entrepreneurial endeavors and, and technology, you said uh, what's required for our vision of the future, build what is required for our vision of the future. What are some of the visions that you've seen, maybe your own, maybe some of the people that have pitched you? Well, so if I just think about kind of as a base layer, we,
1: humanity has never had a base layer that's incorruptible think and think through that what that means is money has always been i've said many times if if money could be corrupted for personal gain at somebody else's expense history says it will be we're a nation's gain at somebody else's expense and so today we live in a system like that and in north america we think oh no problem we have pretty decent money not until recently not super high inflation rate. pretty decent money but the gain, our gain, if you look at Africa or if you look at South America, it's at many of the peripheries expense, and it's the way the system works. Um, and we, we, it's easy to turn a blind eye to it, but it's, so it is the way the system works. But throughout history, if you could, it, when the US went off the gold reserve, essentially they exported their pain because they couldn't pay the bills. To, uh, to other nations, um, and they defaulted, and they controlled money. And then they went on to the petrodollar system. And to do the petrodollar system, you had to have coercion. Essentially, you had to have a bunch of Middle East um, countries that you both pro- provided protection for, and you had an advantage in trade. Or you had an advantage in trade because you had an advantage in energy. And that meant the U.S. could print energy, and everybody else had to pay for energy. So throughout history, you always find this. And you always find that if a money can be corrupted, it will be. And it gets worse and worse through time. And, and so what you could infer from that is if you look back at our entire human history and all of the ideas about economics on top of that, they might be wrong because that, the money was wrong. Because we've never had something that was able to be taken out of the hands of human beings um, that was for all of us. And so, so if that's true, then a whole bunch of the ideas of what people had about inflation, deflation, and everything else are obviously likely wrong too. Looking in the future, you have to just simplify and you have to move kind of a ground up. If you have incorruptible money and you kind of have a peer-to-peer network on top of it, that allows velocity of money for us to trade with each other then that means all of the entrepreneurial talent building on top of this and transferring value means prices continue to fall at whatever rate technology is moving. And what that means is even if you didn't own Bitcoin, you probably benefit from Bitcoin being around because prices fall. And it, it's aligned for a system that, to me, is aligned for the best in us. Will every experiment on top of Bitcoin work? No. Will... Else have have uh, volcano bonds work. Who knows? But every one of those experiments is going to teach a whole bunch of new entrepreneurs and a whole bunch of new ideas what does work. And there's going to be some breakthroughs that are going to drive abundance to humanity. That's where I think, that's where I think this, invent, this discovery takes us.
0: Uh, to that end, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on George Selgin's tweet um, <laughs> who responded to you the other day uh, after you posted. You said, uh, we are moving from a monetary system that unfairly transfers the productivity gains from technology to the rich and powerful through inflation to one where the productivity gains will be shared by all. The earlier you understand the implications, the better. To which George replied with a, a bit of a thread, but I, th- I think it distills down into that he doesn't see Bitcoin being equitably distributed in the future, um, and do you have any thoughts on even how we can make that claim, let alone how we estimate uh, what distribution would need to be there to avoid what he sees as a possible severe recession and unemployment? Yeah. And again,
1: so, so you have a credit-based economy right now, and that means um, it's manipulated. It has to be manipulated. And if you stopped manipulating it, everything would have a severe depression and collapse. And when I say severe depression, every bank would fail. If you just kept on, everything would fail. And so what people are are thinking, Mark, and this is where this is hard to understand, they're misconstruing deflation I'm talking about with what will happen through a credit-based system anyways, right? That debt that has to be reset one way or another through inflation, hyperinflating that debt, or, or a complete collapse, there's no way out of that problem today. That is inevitable. So what you could look at is what's, what's happened is one system is trying to drive prices down, and the other system is trying to drive prices up to offset, right? And, and the faster this one's driving prices down, they actually counteract each other. So as prices move up, what do you think entrepreneurs have to do to be able to win your business? Because you have less money. Make things cheaper. Making things cheaper. So they drive them down, which it means more, more money needs to be printed to drive prices up. So we're at this breaking point. And now you could say the jaws of death, which were here, are now here. So what George is talking actually about is the collapse of this to this, which would be that depression or a wipeout of everything else. What he's missing is there is no fix from this system. Mm-hmm. It's door one deflationary spiral, door to hyperinflation at some point. I'm not saying tomorrow or anything else, but at some point, government's going to have to print into, um, into uh, um, high inflation, and you're going to have things completely break. And no matter what, that keeps getting worse and worse. So, but those are the only two choices. What George is missing is Bitcoin is, is a third door. I call it a bridge to the other side. And you have these systems, one that's going to fail spectacularly. Absolutely. And a new system building in parallel beside of it, beside it. What's actually happening is Bitcoin will reprice this entire stack. And it will reprice it over time, no matter what, no matter if there's a credit collapse or, or inflation, is going to build um, on both events and it's going to reprice the entire um, the world through Bitcoin over time. And if it happens over time, if there's billions of people on Bitcoin they won't even care, they won't even notice. It's a, it'll It's like um, if, am- if when Amazon started, or if when Amazon in 1999, if Walmart, Sears, everything, Kmart, if they all failed in 1999, people would wonder, oh my God, what am I gonna do to buy groceries and food? Um, Amazon only sells books um, and toys. But today, if, if uh, Sears fails, Kmart fails, nobody cares, right? it's um that's a company example but that's what's happening that's what's happening at the the network level on money and that's what's happening with with bitcoin so it really um and that's what george misses and he likes the idea of a deflation of a currency that would allow deflation he just doesn't think it it could be bitcoin and and i and i asked him privately i said do you have any other idea i said i just want to understand that the point of your debate is the point of your debate that you have a better idea, or is the point of the debate you don't think it could happen? And he doesn't. There is no better idea. There isn't a better idea. And so, and and many people have been confused by the rate of technology growth. If George isn't following what's happening on Bitcoin and the second layer and and what's what's emerging there, then it would be easy to be looking backwards and make that mistake. And so I just think, I just think because he's in the existing system and he's not, he doesn't understand how fast the technology is moving, how fast it is becoming a peer to peer network that, uh, that he's just making that mistake in, in not projecting what that means.
0: And that's why you're screaming it from the mountaintops. And that's why I'm trying to do my, my part as well. Right. <laughs> so you were recently in El Salvador and you spoke with a group of people who were opposed to. Uh, Bukele, and in turn, opposed to Bitcoin. And you've mentioned on a podcast recently that you broke through that group. What did you mean by that? And I'm curious how you did it. <laughs> um,
1: uh, you've done your research, by the way. <laughs> um, so that was a it was a young president's organization in El Salvador, and I've been in the organization. I'm not young anymore, but I've been in the organization for 20 years, and so. Again, there's probably a trust just because I've been in the organization um f- uh, for 20 years, but I just walk through all of the all of what this meant, what this meant for businesses, why there's such an opportunity. And I walk through the process, both the system that we live in and what it means and where it goes, and what this system means, what it means and where it goes. But the biggest hang up that I that I realized was was there was. That the the wealthy didn't like the the very wealthy in El Salvador didn't like Bukele, they didn't because it was because they felt it was kind of a a populist movement, and it might put some of their businesses at risk as of from a populist movement. Where I, I infer that that's what uh, that that's what it meant. I'm not sure, but and you could see the kind of the room turn. Um, in, this main, in, in this meeting and then getting excited for kind of what what could be built on top of this and now seeing the opportunity in it instead of, but but there were still some people with hang up over, they didn't like it because Bukele liked it. And so I got a question near the end, said, what's so this all sounds fantastic about Bitcoin. What is the worst thing about Bitcoin? And I said, the worst thing about Bitcoin is your enemies are going to use it and they're going to make it stronger for you. So that was the that was the turning point, and a bunch of them realized a bunch of them realized it wasn't Bitcoin that they didn't like; it was a person they didn't like, and they couldn't disassociate the person from Bitcoin. And by the way, I, I think that if you look at potentially a bunch of people on the progressive side and
0: uh, in politics, it, they're doing the same thing. Absolutely. It's much easier to pin people against each other when it's an identity war uh, rather than yeah, okay. a war uh, to find the best solution for the problems that you care about. Right. Uh, so speaking of, of politics, you know we've, we've touched on how we might see Bitcoin uh, affect the economic structures. I'm curious to know if you've uh, thought about how Bitcoin might actually change our political structures, uh, presumably in a more positive manner. If we've got this this truth machine out there not only what does that do for the economy what does that do for our political structures
1: yeah so what we what we get today is politicians on both sides of the aisle hiding where most of the money comes from and telling you a lie on top of that hiding that money where most and neither of them will tell you the lie no no politician is telling you that so what it means is you're advocating for a democratic system on top of a system based on corruption I wish I didn't have to say that, or let's say manipulation and that, that manipulation and money, if, there, if there's manipulation and money, then that manipulation and money has to be everywhere in society. But we're making, we're making decisions on top of that manipulation. And we're getting further and further apart as society. In fact, you know, I wrote about this in the book, what would happen, and it seems to be happening as a result of that manipulation. So what would happen with truth? what it would mean is politicians would have to tell you the truth and they would advocate for the policies and those policies would actually look pretty similar they would move closer together <laughs> instead of what they seem like today and they would they would advocate for policies that were that could be paid for and some politicians might say listen we need 20% uh, taxes to pay for roads, bridges, education every, uh, and, and the works. And some politician says, no, we, we think we can do it for 15. And society would vote or, or we, can, we could do it for 10, and, but you don't get your, your, your roads repaired um, or you don't get firefighters on your street. <laughs> and so society would vote. Um, and I think we're capable of voting for the truth and and so what you'd see is eventually you'd see more honesty in politics but it just it's going to happen anyways because the game theory demands it and whether it happens in a state versus a state thing in the us or it happens in another country saying hey this is what we stand for and here's how we're going to pay for it people will move to that country and it'll create the best talent moving to different different countries and stronger economies in those countries which will cause a feedback loop, and other countries will chase it. So over time, this is going to happen, but it probably is it, that'll probably take some time.
0: How do you see a credit system working uh,
1: on top of Bitcoin? Very little. So you asked a question before, and I didn't give you a sufficient answer on how do you broaden the, the Bitcoin into all hands. If you had a, just a credit-based system on top, if you just traded uh, faces from this group to this group, and then, you know, you could leverage credit forever. I don't think anything would change. Or not, it still would change, but it would take a long time to change because at the end of the day, when entrepreneur, when when somebody that was levering a system, fear and greed, taking too much leverage in the system, Bitcoin, nobody's going to come back and save you, right? So think about how those are different. In 2008, all of the people who created the the financial mess are still in power at the top. And how are they still in power? Because they socialize the losses to everyone else. And so they got massive raises, massive bonuses, and um, and the system just kept on kept on going. And that what that means is if I make a big enough bet and it's going to hurt everyone else on being wrong, then I can always go back to the government and the government's going to save me for fear of causing causing a depression. And they're going to socialize the losses and make me whole. And if you have that, kind of error code bit built into society. Do you think we have more financialization of business today? It, it, it could, because what that says is it it tells the market, it tells everybody, here's how you make unlimited money at society's expense. And so you get more and more of that. And that's what capitalism looks like today. It's crony, cronyism. It's crony capitalism. On the other side of that, if you made that bet, you'd be wiped out because Bitcoin doesn't care. It you'd can be, you'd be completely wiped out. Now, likely, though, it's more than likely it, than, than as a peer-to-peer network, more and more people are just going to use it as money all over the world. I'm using it as money. And it's very easy to use on the Lightning Network uh, um, as money. And as, as more and more people do that, now imagine taking debt when prices are coming down. So, in, And when I say price is coming down, I'm talking prices is coming down in Bitcoin terms. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're measuring in Bitcoin, prices should come down forever. It might be volatile on the way down, but, but long-term trend, prices will come down forever. So what that means is if you're, if you're taking debt, then the expense of the debt keeps rising. And so if you took a lot of debt to fund, uh, fund a business and that business wasn't immediately profitable, then it means you're probably going to lose the business to the debt provider. And the debt provider also doesn't want to own the businesses. So same calculation on the other side. What that means is today, the massive pile of debt, that's what I'm getting at, that is going to be repriced one way or another into into Bitcoin, but the the amount of credit in the system is going to be far, far less as we move into this new
0: world. So, how do you look at that as as an entrepreneur? Do you do you think it stymies entrepreneurship? Not one bit. So,
1: keep in mind, I know all of these things. Right now, I just created a thirty million dollars fund, and obviously, a whole bunch of forty million dollars fund, a whole bunch of LPs. So, we're oversubscribed on that fund because a whole bunch of capital believes in the thesis and is going to invest in entrepreneurs, not as debt but as equity, because they they understand the same thing that I'm saying. And I make investments all the time still, and and not just in Bitcoin, but I make other investments personally in other businesses. And why would I make that investment when I know Bitcoin is going to keep gaining value forever? And I'd make that investment because I believe that 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 specific company can gain value faster than than Bitcoin. Why Why I would make investments on top of Bitcoin layer and some of these companies, as I think some of those companies can gain value faster than Bitcoin. So that economic, that decision doesn't change at all. The, the Not one iota. Um, it makes the bar higher for which investments I'm going to make. In a world where your money is being destroyed all the time, then you might make investment, you might just race to create NFTs really fast make, or to gamble. Because you're worried about your money getting destroyed, and you're trying to escape the system, you, that probably doesn't happen in the new system. Um, but but it doesn't change. It doesn't change
0: the calculus at all. You mean there's not going to be a Luna 2.0 or 3.0? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I I would like to round things out here by actually asking you and talking about uh, the the tweet that I tagged you on as a request for coming on the podcast, and specifically, you know. It, it's my thought, it's my belief that, that every new technology or iteration on, on governance over the millennia Im- improves our lives to some degree. And that quality of life is obviously much better now than it was, say, 2,000 years ago. So whether it's the printing press or the internet, the electricity or democracy, you know, every new development kind of broadens this net of beneficence. And I see Bitcoin as one of those technologies that can augment the greater good while at the same time trying to minimize the the downside of our fallibility. I suspect that you feel the same way since you've described Bitcoin as a means for improving our cooperation and minimizing some of this adversarial competition. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you see Bitcoin as a, quote, bridge away from the madness in our world to a place where incentives are aligned to the very best of us? I'm going to try to simplify it
1: through the long, long arc of history, and say, and and but reinforce what you just said. So, in systems, or us, or a, or your cell, or or your brain, or or bodies, or a plant, or anything, energy plus storage plus compute, uh, energy plus information storage plus com, uh, compute. That's actually all we are. And when you think about that, then the only way to get more work done is more storage because we're limited in storage and we're limited in compute with our brains. And so the only way to get more work done is to trust each other and link together to create us, humanity, as a supercomputer. So more brains together, more storage, more compute, more ideas, and they don't all work. Many of them fail, but they're more ideas, more shots on net that is actually the foundation of everything we do. And we live on top of, we, we stand on the shoulders of all the greatness that went before us. And then we contribute to it and we make it better. That's just the way the world works. Um, and it, but it requires a trust and money to be able to link the supercomputer together. Because without the trust and money, you don't have a supercomputer. And if you want to see the, the evidence of that, if you look at the bigger biggest cities or the biggest countries with high trust and money or high trust and governance structures, they outperform Big cities with weak trust, and why it seems logical to me, just because you have more compute, you have more trust, you have more trust, more storage, um, and so through the long arc of history, as you increase storage or compute, say books and the printing press, you had more more storage, more information, and more people able to read that information through and an error correct on that information, more compute. And so you're right. That's actually how the uh, how society works, and it doesn't work if you have mistrust. And if you just look at a nation with no trust and see see the level of of what happens to their society, you can easily see that societal standards, living standards, must go down as a result of that, um, because we stop linking together, and we have to do everything ourselves, and we care about ourselves, and we lose that that bond, that is also now moving into kind of ever higher structures of energy storage and compute. And a bunch of that is moving into, into technology today. And it's reducing our need to do the labor. And all of those things should be bringing prices down. And and they're not on a Bitcoin standard on that type of system. It forces that trust, we wouldn't vote for it. We wouldn't. So and, and to see how clear that is, just is to is, is say if somebody said today, say a politician stood up and said, I got an idea. I'm not going to print one more dollar and we're going to let everything collapse to the ground. Would you vote for them? And there's no progressive. There's no there's no Republican. There's no no one that would vote for them. And so what that means is we will only vote for people who lie to us and tell us they can solve all our problems. They can give us way more than they can by stealing more money from us in their back pocket. And that leads to a whole bunch of mistrust. And it has to, because it is mistrust. And all money is, is information. And we don't actually want more money. We want what we think more money will buy us. So Bitcoin solves that paradox of something that we wouldn't vote for, but it imposes that new alignment Around around something that you can't manipulate that forces
0: all of the cooperation onto a system that actually benefits all of us. You've put it very succinctly when you said it is not money; it is the manipulation of money that is the root of all evil. <laughs> right. So I just have a couple more questions, and my next one I want to ask uh, as uh, a brother, and I was hoping that you might be able to share a little bit about yours, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, um, I it, it had two brothers. Just one passed away, and um, I wrote a little bit about it in, in the book. But we were uh, we were super close.
0: You said that he showed you how uh, defined one's life by the positive impact uh, we have on others. Yeah, and I, it's been it's been now
1: nineteen years. There's a golf tournament every year, um, two hundred and fifty people strong, that is sold out every year. Uh, two hundred and fifty of just unbelievable friends that our family had nothing to do in putting on. And sometimes this happens. Uh, sometimes you can see somebody dies and that happens for a year or two years. And then everybody forgets. It blows me away that the friends have done this that many years and that everybody comes together to celebrate. Um, it's, it's grown as be beyond just, just him. But, it, but what it tells, uh, what it, what it told me is Impact lives on we always remember the people forever. the people that touched us, they live on forever, and so so I think that was a really important thing. I wish it never happened, but but in in i I go through my life thinking, okay, if that's all it's about, if that's what it's really about, how do I make sure that I just show up with a positive impact?
0: Well, it's a beautiful lesson, and I thank you for sharing. My last question, one that I ask every person, is uh, what gives you hope? But I want to tweak that a little bit based upon some of your prior writings and tweets, and ask you a time that you've moved from fear to hope. Um, I I, I honestly don't feel uh,
1: very rarely in fear. I can explain all of the where this existing system will take us, and it makes me uncomfortable. Um, But as an entrepreneur, I just uh, or as, as a person, I just like to spend my time in hope, trying to do, trying to do, kind of showing up. It's actually tied into the last conversation. It's, I could, I could spend all my time thinking about what the world, what's going to happen to the world if nothing's done, or realize what's going to happen to the world if nothing's done, and then spend all my time trying to create a new world. And, and so I just cho- choose path two, I just choose um, everything you do actually matters. The things you, stay, things you do, the, the people you meet, it, it all matters. And if it matters for one person or 10 people, it actually does it, it just So I like to orient myself to move forward instead of moving backwards.
0: Perfect. Jeff, you're a beacon in the space. Thank you so much for your time. It, you, you're awfully generous with, with what you have offered me and everybody else. Uh, that you've offered your time. So thank you so much. Please tell the listeners where they can find you. Uh, Probably just best on Twitter, uh, at Jeff Booth on Twitter. Excellent. Well, again, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Hey, don't forget to visit sunexchangecom backslash progressive Bitcoiner to buy solar cells that will power the projects that inspire you. You'll earn monthly Bitcoin payments for 20 years from the clean energy your solar cells generate. And the organizations you power gain access to affordable, reliable, clean energy. With Sun Exchange, you can easily earn Bitcoin and make a positive impact on the planet. Progressive Bitcoiner listeners get a free solar cell with their first purchase, so get started at Sunexchange.com backslash progressive bitcoiner. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Progressive Bitcoiner. If you enjoyed the show, head on over to Apple Podcasts and please leave a review. And don't forget, we have a website, theprogressivebitcoiner.com, where we have a lot of great content on Bitcoin and progressive issues. Thanks again for tuning in.